0: In 1614, a sequel to the novel Don Quixote came out in Spain. You might have heard of Don Quixote, famous novel, Spain's cultural answer to the works of Shakespeare, a satire on Knights and Damsels' romance books. Part 1 of Don Quixote had been published ten years earlier, in 1605. Like Star Wars, it hadn't really been labelled as a Part 1 when it came out, so a sequel in 1614 was a big deal. Part 1 of Don Quixote was written by Miguel de Cervantes? Cervantes? was not the author of this sequel. The sequel's author was Alonso Fernandez de Avellaneda. Cervantes seems to have hated it. He wasn't alone. Historians and literary critics tend not to be fans. Avellaneda was a fake name, a literary pseudonym. We don't know who wrote this false sequel, but the book made Cervantes so mad that he seems to have immediately started dropping in references to it as soon as he heard about it, into the book that he was working on. It was about chapter 59 of that book when he first seems to have noticed one of his characters says, There's no book so bad, but it has something good in it. He's talking about Avellaneda. Probably not being complimentary. The book Cervantes was writing was his own sequel to Don Quixote. It's known to history as Don Quixote Part II, the second book. But it was actually the second, second volume of Don Quixote. Avellaneda had written it first. In this episode, we're talking about those two books. This is episode one of the two Quixotes for the Instituto Salvante, Sydney. I'm Sasha Rosen.
1: So I'm Vicente Pérez de León, and I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Melbourne, and I'm fortunate enough to teach Don Quixote every year. Avellaneda is not a real name. What is important about Avellaneda and the non-authorized second part of Don Quixote is that tells us a lot about the literary discussions and the literary atmosphere in the times. I would say that the way that the book was published and the way it was circulated and all these things tell us that the book of Avellaneda had both purposes, attack Cervantes, but also appropriating the character because the character was very famous and using it for the author being famous, you know. Cervantes' novel was recognized very fast by the other authors. When they read Don Quixote and also the exemplary novels, they realized that he was a superb narrator. Cervantes' fame was not well received because it was not respected. They didn't think that an old guy could do that. People just attacked him because he wasn't part of the oligarchy of the time.
0: So Avelioneta's book was exactly this kind of attack.
1: Cervantes didn't like it because he considered himself personally attacked. So in part two of Don Quixote... Actually, at the time that Avellaneda's book was out, Cervantes incorporated that fact into the novel, and some of the characters are reading it and criticizing it in front of Don Quixote and saying, this is not worth anything. This book is not good. You know, look at the real ones. You can actually
0: find an early copy of Avellaneda's False Quixote in Sydney. We have an early English translation in the State Library of New South Wales.
2: My name's Maggie Patton, and I'm manager of the Research and Discovery Branch at the State Library of New South Wales. This book is absolutely tiny. Could you describe it to us? This is from the State Library's collection. It's only small. It's probably around eight centimetres tall. It's not quite classified as a miniature, but it's quite small. It has a contemporary binding from that very early 18th century. So it is quite a beautiful book. And it's typical of the period where they were starting to produce small books that were easy to carry, very portable. As the spread of printing happened throughout Europe, as the number of printers and publishers proliferated, as reading became more widespread, far more people started to learn to read and they came up with different ways of producing books to make them smaller, handier, cheaper, portable, easier to store.
0: The thing to understand about this period, even around 1605, when Don Quixote was first published, was that reading for pleasure was still new. The technology to easily print was, itself, only about 150 years old.
2: Gutenberg introduced metal type in Europe in 1455, so we're talking about 150 years later. But it's surprising how quickly the whole idea of printing and the methods developed In
3: the 16th century,
2: the people started to read books just
3: for their pleasure. Before that, when you were reading a book, it was always in order to have a lesson, to be educated. But with a novel, you could just have the possibility to dream or to have something different to your ordinary life. My name is Véronique Duchet. I am a professor of French. And my research focuses on translation into French during the Renaissance, because books were always for very scientific things. They were mostly religious books at this time. It was something you were not used to, so the novel was something very different. And also the audience was very different for these books, because there were many women reading these books printers invented this small format for books, so you didn't have to read these books in offices, for example, these big folios that took so much space and were so heavy to carry. You had this special small format. You can have this book in your pockets, so that was the beginning of the pocket editions.
0: Don Quixote itself makes fun of these sorts of new pocket readings. Night and Quest novels translated into Spanish. Spanish romances translated into French.
3: First came the novellas Sentimentalis, very short sentimental novels where the heroes were always a lady and a knight. The people learned to behave according to the rules, to the rules of religion or to the rules of the court. It was always a mix of religion, of chivalry, of love story but it was never with a good ending. So that were the first novels. And then came, translated from Spanish, the chivalric novels. So here, the love story could happen, and they were very happy, and sometimes children were born without marriages. Some scandals with these uh, chivalric novels. And the most famous is Amadis de Gaula, Amadis de Gaulle, who was so successful during the 16th century, the first European bestseller. The novel was written by Montalvo, a Spanish guy who took inspiration from a Portuguese novel. He wrote a sequel for this chivalric novel, there was absolutely no copyright. There were other Spanish authors writing sequels of these sequels. And then there were Italian authors writing other sequels. And then German writers writing sequels and so on.
0: This is the thing. People had already been writing sequels to these original Spanish romances. Avellaneda's False Quixote wasn't the first. It was just the first unauthorized Cervantes sequel.
3: I think it's exactly like Star Wars, And you have the sequel and the prequel and you have your heroes and they have children and they have grandchildren and they have brothers and they have aunts and uncles. So it was really fascinating for the readers at this time to have a new story of the heroes they liked so much. And in total, we had 24 books of Amadis the Gaul.
1: It's like Marvel or DC superheroes. You see a group of heroes like the Fantastic Four, but sometimes you want to see only one of them in one of the movies and know about the story of this character or this other or character. Well, exactly the same happened in between 16th and 17th century in Spain. And why did they do that? Because it was very popular. So the tradition was there. It's not that it was exceptional that Avellaneda did that. Don Quixote was part of popular culture. There were processions, festivals, even in America. There are records of festivals about Don Quixote, Spanish America. We have an amazing reception of Don Quixote in the Hispanic world, also in France, circulating in England, in Europe, Italy, etc. So definitely there was an expectation among readers to get a second part.
0: Thanks to this kind of popularity, Don Quixote was published in England, first published as a complete book in 1620, five years after the last part had come out in Spanish. The State Library of New South Wales has a copy of that as well. Maggie Patton.
2: I have here the 1620 edition of Don Quixote, so it includes the first part in English, which was originally published in 1612, and it includes the second part in English, which was published in 1620. You can see that it's in quite a plain calf's skin binding, but the spine has quite a lot of gold detail as well as the title of the book in gold. The original Spanish was published in 1605, that was part one, and that was translated into English in 1612. The second part was published in Spanish in 1615, and the second part was published in English in 1620. The first English translation was Thomas Shelton. There's also fascinating conversations about how long it took him to do the translation and whether or not his translation from Spanish into English is very sloppy. He claims that it took him 40 days to translate part one, which is pretty quick, even if you're very good at Spanish. You can see when you open the first page, there is the early illustration of Don Quixote. This is one of the first, and you can see at the back the windmill already becoming a feature. Early in the
0: book, in part one, Don Quixote attacks windmills, mistaking them for giants. It's the most famous part of the book, We tend to look at Don Quixote as a romantic story these days, and that's okay. It works really well as a romantic story about dreams and madness. But that's a second way of looking at the story. It's important to remember that there was a first way of looking at the book as well.
1: Vicente again. When Sancho and Don Quixote see the windmills, Sancho keeps on telling Don Quixote that these are windmills, and Don Quixote keeps on telling Sancho that these are giants. So you see these two ways of looking at reality. Basically, this is this battle between what is real and what is not. And Don Quixote, in order to prove himself, he attacks the windmills and he is defeated. This battle against windmills has also a lot of connotations because windmills represented technology in the times. Today would be no windmills, but maybe drones, the equivalent like that. So Don Quixote, in a way, is fighting against this technology, this thing that is changing the way the new world works. He's living in the old world of chivalry, knights, and old values. One of the reasons of the novel is that, that, you know, he is an anachronism, trying to recuperate the value of these old knights that were called Hidalgos, with some kind of nobility in ancestors, but with no relevance in Spanish society. When Don Quixote is trying to do all these wild things about windmills, it's also symbolic of all these people trying to recuperate their pride in front of the contemporary world that they were living that they were not identified with. The Don Quixote novel is about this main character, Don Quixote, who before becoming Don Quixote is Alonso Quijano, who is a Hidalgo. The title of the novel is The Ingenious Hidalgo, the Indigenous knight, Don Quixote de la Mancha, who after reading a lot of books on chivalric novels, he thinks that he can really become one of them. Eventually he gets his old horse, helmet, all the things, the old sword of his ancestors. And he gets out and he's like an anachronism. He tries to perform things that the characters in the novel did and he's trying to look for adventures in that contest, which is very difficult, but it doesn't matter because his imagination overcomes anything. Everything becomes whatever he has in his mind. So the main characters in the first part are Don Quixote and Sancho. Sancho is just a peasant who happens to be in Don Quixote's town because all knights had a servant. And Sancho is ignorant enough to leave his family and follow Don Quixote. So he becomes like the first fan of Don Quixote in the novel. The other main character of Don Quixote is Dulcinea, who is the loved one based on the Silbaric novels. And then Dulcinea is really this lady who never happens in the novel. It's only in the imagination of Don Quixote. But he has in mind a real woman, who is Aldonza Lorenzo, another person in town.
0: Apart from these three main characters being in both halves of the book, The second half of Don Quixote is actually really different to the first.
1: The main character is the unity between part one and two. It keeps the whole plot together. But the amazing thing between part one and two is ten years later... Because, of course, the two halves of Don Quixote were published ten years apart. Ten years later, Cervantes comes out with this amazing second part, which is even better than the first one. Why is it better? Because Sancho, Don Quixote... They are aware that they're famous. What Cervantes does is say, you know, what is the best way to make my character relevant? He will be famous, and not only famous, he will be recognized. So when they decide to go out and look for adventures, it's not the same as in the first part. In the first part, Don Quixote and Sancho, they didn't know if they were going to have adventures. Don Quixote, maybe as he was crazy, he thought the adventures would come to him. But in the second part, they start looking for adventures, but now they're going to find characters who they want to play jokes on Don Quixote and Sancho because they have read it. All these interactions between Don Quixote and other characters, but with a subcontext of metafiction, which is making a fiction that talks about how to make a fiction. A metafictional detail would be like doing like this in the microphone, you know? Because at some point, the human mind gets lost into the imagination of what they're listening or reading or looking at. And at some point, that's being broken. And all in a sudden, you need to think in a different way for that second. That is metafiction.
0: So it's like suddenly the audience has noticed that we're just sitting here with notes and a recorder and water.
1: and Absolutely. And And, uh, and contemporary drama, contemporary movies, they do that in purpose in order to show, look, we're showing you that we're in a movie. In a way, it's a way of connecting deeply with audiences. It's a very deep connection. Cervantes wrote with a deep understanding of the reader, and that's what makes his work really advanced. But at the same time, you don't notice that, and that's a good thing. If Don Quixote changed me, yes, it did. I think the book changes as much as you start changing in life. So when you're young, you feel different emotions than when you are older. The book remains the same. That's the magic of Don Quixote. So when you're young, you're looking for some of the most adventurous chapters where there is more questioning of the canonic thinking and things like that. Later on in life, you realize that those parts, they didn't mean so much as you thought they meant but the whole book is much more well-balanced in the end, and everything makes sense and is more logic than you thought. The emotions change as you change, as you grow up, and as you develop yourself as a person. So why are we bringing you this podcast today? In Spain.
0: Today, you know, half a day behind Australia. It's exactly 400 years since the death of Miguel de Cervantes. But the Instituto Cervantes in Sydney is also, obviously, linked to Cervantes in all sorts of ways. I'll let Victor, the director, explain.
4: The Instituto Cervantes, where we are now, is the Spanish cultural center. We are a network of 90 Instituto Cervantes around the world, And we teach Spanish, but we are also organizing many cultural activities, not just from Spain, but also from all Spanish-speaking countries, a community of more than 550 million people around the world. We have the name of Cervantes because he's the most famous writer ever in Spanish language, a very recognizable novelist and writer, not just for the Spanish speakers, but the whole world. We organize many cultural events but this year because the 400th anniversary of the death of Miguel de Cervantes we organize more than 400 activities during this day only in our network of 90 Instituto Cervantes around the world. In Australia one of the main activities is to record this podcast. What we would love is you to read Cervantes Spanish readers usually read Don Quixote when they are in university, sometimes in high school. Sometimes we are kind of scared because it's like the Bible for us. It's like so important, so old, so traditional, and we are a little scared. But as soon as you read the novel, you find out that it's so modern. We want to transmit the emotion of reading Cervantes and especially Don Quixote for the Australian readers.
0: And that's one of the points of this podcast, don't be scared to pick it up. Don Quixote is a pretty good read. Keep listening over the next couple of weeks for our next episode, where we're going to celebrate the life of Cervantes, starting with his death. Two Quixotes is made by the Instituto Cervantes in Sydney. It's produced by Paola Yal, presented and edited by me. I'm Zasha Rosen. Music in this episode by Broke for Free and Rosie Catalano. See the episode notes for details. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us get the word out about this great dead author. Thanks
1: for listening.